to the Three Way Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Three Way Podcast. Uh, today's guest is actually one of one of our biggest ones we've had so far. Producer, writer, Sev Ohanian. Welcome, Welcome Sev. Hey, Welcome. guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for getting some time because <laughs> I know you're this super busy right here. now. Yeah, you know everyone's busy, but this is this is a priority. This is awesome. I Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. So let's go. Let's start it off with education because uh, it's it's very uh, essential today. But uh, it has become one of the most serious issues that, as far as U.S., I believe we're at 1.5 trillion right now. But let's go back. Let's not scare the uh, 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 <laughs> aspiring cool. writers or producers. Education, you went to USC. Mm-hmm. How was that experience? It was genuinely amazing. I, uh, you know, fresh out of high school, I got into UC San Diego where I went there to get my undergrad degree. And I love UCSD. Um, one of the main reasons I may have gone there was because of how close it was to the beach. But aside from that, it was a great education. And I was studying um, initially journalism. Because when I was coming, coming out of school, pursuing filmmaking wasn't exactly a viable option, you know, like being the child of Armenian immigrants, you know, like the emphasis is doctor, lawyer, something that, you know, has a lot of prestige and financial stability. Film wasn't exactly on that list. Sure. Ironically, journalism should not have been on that list, but I don't know (laughs) any better. And when I was at UCSD, I was genuinely pursuing journalism, but at the same time I was dreaming about film. And I made this Armenian movie around that time that kind of changed things for me, that ultimately led me to feel empowered. I got out of school at UCSD one year early, and I applied to USC for grad school for their film program, and I got in. So and like That it, was uh, my big, fat Armenian family? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we could talk about that for sure. But long story short, like just getting to USC alone was such a big deal for me. Um, once I was there, it was almost like a dream come true. You know, I, was, I went there for three to four years, four years actually, where I was spending every day in classes with fellow filmmakers from all over the world studying how to make these movies and the professors are fantastic and more than anything I think being at USC film school is really what kind of led me to meeting people who were just like me who I probably otherwise would have never met who to this day have become my collaborators three people in particular would you say like a, a school like USC I'm sure it has a bigger network it's a better way to network with people and connect with them as far as doing films or the does it really matter where you're at? Uh, it does not matter. For example, like like CSUN has a film program as well. Well, which CSUN is, more... is top 20, but I'm sure USC is number one. Yeah. CSUN is fantastic. Yeah. The media program is one of the best ones, absolutely. I think USC is probably ranked number one, but I think those rankings involve all sorts of other sure. factors that don't really matter. But no, I, I don't think it matters necessarily what film school you go to, and I don't think it necessarily matters whether you go to film school at all. Because ultimately, you know, film school costs enormous amount of money and if you were to go to a smaller school or if you were not to go to film school all that money you would have spent potentially you could use to make a movie or to find other ways to enter the industry but for me it was really useful um and it i think it's proven itself worthy for me just based on the people that i work with to this day and you're still connected with the same people or have uh, still work on projects with them totally yeah i mean people that i was in class with and a big thing for me when i was at usc film school was i started taing a lot and once I had graduated, I spent about four and a half years being an adjunct professor there myself. Just, the, you know, the people that I've been able to, you know, it was my way of giving back to that school that yeah. had given me so much. Awesome. So were you teaching screenwriting or what, what courses were you I was teaching? teaching begin, like introduction to producing okay. for four years. And then my last half year, I started teaching uh, intermediate producing. So it was just producing. 
I have tons of screenwriting questions because you're uh, you also write scripts. That's so. right. Yeah. Uh, let's start off with was producing something you initially wanted to do when you started off uh, in this business, or uh, did it just lead? Up? Of course, you were passionate. Or was it like initially just a screenwriting of it, or and then you got into producing it afterwards? Oh, that's a great question. So when I was coming up as as a kid in this country, I wanted to be a director because that's all I kind of knew about filmmaking. Yeah. Like there's somebody who yells action, somebody points their fingers, <laughs> yeah. somebody who whatever. And I, you know, I made my own film when I was 20 years old, my big fat Armenian family, which I know we'll talk about. Yeah. And, you know, I directed it, I wrote it, I produced it, I shot it, I edited it. I did every job except for makeup. And then the makeup artist quit, so I did that too. <laughs> and uh, it was very much a one-man thing. And not only did we make the movie, but like I, you know, I found a way to market it. I found a way to like distribute it, exhibit it, all, all the other business that comes with it. By the time I got into USC, I was I was very convinced I wanted to be a director. But the more I, you know, what's one another great thing about film school, it doesn't matter which one, you get to test out the role of every single position. Yeah. And the more I would direct, I just felt myself being unsatisfied. Because I think what I really was drawn to making films about was that bigger picture. Putting and it all together. Exactly. Putting it all together. And I think I have, my philosophy is that the director's role on a film is to have like a microscope. And at every moment of the production, pre-production, post, whatever, they got to be looking with this tiny little microscope at every detail and making sure it's perfect. But I also feel the producer's job is to look at the whole picture at all times and have that director's back and tell him or her, hey, I know you're looking at A, but don't forget about Z. And when I was in film school, I really found myself falling into that position more and more naturally, that I really loved creatively leading the project but at the same time being involved for everything um and and writing was always a massive massive passion of mine that i kind of didn't tell anybody about for the longest time because when we were in film school it was it's like this microcosm of the industry and yeah. everyone kind of labels everybody and i wanted to be seen as the guy who was the producer because if you're the producer slash writer and somebody wants a good producer they're going to go for the person that's mainly a producer. exactly yeah. so I just kind of kept that part of my life secret, and I just focused on being the producer who would make the most ambitious, larger-than-life, probably the most dangerous student <laughs> films that the faculty would often tell us not to make. And I got my hands on some amazing projects and great filmmakers as a result of that of that reputation. That's nice. incredible. So you pretty much just pushed the envelope. Like You didn't want to keep it safe or anything like that. You just did the most you could. Yeah, and, and I'll be honest with you. I think, and, um, to get really personal here, when I first entered film school, there was a part of me that felt really insecure about my place in that school. I was one of the younger people, I think, that had ever been at that program, and especially my semester peers were far older than me. And everyone had this certain aesthetic that they wanted to make in their student films. And they were very, like, art, artful and um, elevated and very yeah. prestigious. And I kind of wanted to make more movies for, like, the masses. But I kind of hid that side of me a little bit, and I was like, I'm going to try and conform and I'm probably in the wrong mind space. I should definitely see what everyone else is doing. And that led me to making a couple of films early on that I just, I don't think I, they were good films. I think it was clear that I was trying to do something else, someone yeah. else's thing. But once I kind of came into my own about a year into the program, I was like, yo, I just want to make big, awesome movies. And the way to do that as a producer is to just find the other, uh, the, find the directors who also want to do that. And then I encourage them, let's go bigger. Let's go wider. Let's, let's find a way to do something that you would never have to do as a student film and, I'm really proud of the films I made when I was at USC because I remember even being in screenings with the whole school president where the dean would even like lean over to our staff members and be like, wait, what's the budgets on these movies? Like <laughs> it was it was it was really um 
it was a really big deal for me to see those those films come yeah, together. Too, yeah. yeah, that's amazing though. And it, when you when you put that together, was everybody that was a part of it in the school, like USC? Or did you have like people from different areas to like come in? It, it would be just the film school for the film most school. part. The writers, the directors, the producers, there's yeah. animators. There's you know there's there's other sections of it, but it was still a big part of the school. Were you restricted to actors to use the like? Did they have to be out of uh, in USC or no? When you're at USC Film School, you can use any SAG actor possible. Um, I mean, we we put auditions on like LA Casting, Access, Breakdown Access. Express, yeah. Actor Success, exactly. And did you when you were producing too? Uh, were you part of the casting process as well, or did you have somebody completely separate do that? For student films, we I don't think we ever really used the casting director. It would always be the director and producers. Mm. You know, producers have put out the breakdowns. Directors have the meetings with the actors. I'd be yeah. present. It's kind of a very uh, smaller operation, but we kind of all did it together. And then from USC, so like. Uh, did you find a job immediately or did you start like interning at a at like a production office? Totally. Or? So what I would what I would teach my students at USC, and I think that this applies to anybody, whether yeah. they're in film school and obviously if they're not, if you're a USC student or you're a film student, then I, I would always tell my kids like you should be spending every evening reading scripts and reading books on scripts and writing. Every evening. You should spend every weekend crewing up on other people's films. Because other people, you know, people would be directing or producing a movie, but they need someone to come hold the boom mic, you know, uh, hold lights or, like, set the camera. You should go and volunteer your own weekend for other people. What's the reason to do that? So, obviously, when you need them, they'll come return the favor. And I would always say I spend every summer doing your internships. I mean, internships are so important to, like, breaking out because the sad thing about being a film student is that the moment you graduated, you're no longer a student. You are now considered competition to people who are in the industry so while you're a student you can have internships or you get brought into places see how things work get a peek at literally what how they organize their stuff so the best time to do it is while you're attending school i mean yeah and i think the truth is because of certain laws that have passed recently that's pretty much the only time to do it anyway but um it's 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 so crucial i think there was a very clear divide of my fellow classmates who chose not to do internships Mm -hmm. Because they were, you know, making their own stuff or maybe before prioritizing it versus the classmates who did internships and where people are now, I think we're, you know, like seven years out of school. Like it's very clear to see the ones who did the internships have ultimately landed them, you know, that's something great, great, great positions. Yeah. Nice. Did you find yourself to, uh, so when you did, when you did your internships, did you find like after school, did it help you get a job easier? Yeah, definitely. So there's, there's two paths if you're a film student or, or a filmmaker coming yeah. into your own. There is the the freelance path, you know, like the the Wild West path, where you don't necessarily have a job, you don't yeah. have a salary, you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from. This sounds amazing, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> um, it's basically uh, on and off. Yeah, that that's kind of the path that I definitely did not want to do. Yeah, and that's exactly what ended up happening. <laughs> but. Uh, the other path is like the path where you like usually get an internship and that leads to an assistant job and that leads to another assistant job and then you go up to coordinator and manager and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So those two different paths, definitely. For me, I when I was early in my film school um, career, I thought for a moment I may have wanted to become a post-production supervisor, which is like the producer who handles, who's in charge of, you know, this yeah, editing yeah, yeah. and video and video and sound and music and visual effects. I kind of liked, I liked the idea of that job. I landed an incredible internship. It was a paid internship. Um, I think it was like $12 an hour, which was balling for me at the time. <laughs> and 
it was the worst experience of my life. <laughs> I was so miserable. I'm like, wait, this is this is the job? I mean, obviously, credit to whoever does that job. It's a huge, yeah. important job, and I think some of the highest paid people in the business, but it, it was not for me. I found it grueling. I found it really unsatisfying, but I'm so happy I did that because it totally made it clear to me, you know, this is not what you want to do. And that's more like office back end because I have a friend, uh, he's a post-production supervisor, um, for Umbrella Academy. He yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. awesome. So he's been doing it for uh, over a year, and I believe they uh, they got renewed, renewed for yeah, another did. season. Mm-hmm. So he should be back at that. That's but. great, yeah. And that's usually, you know, you do that enough, you, kind of, you become a producer eventually because they upgrade you. And then for me, I, I had that job. I also had this incredible internship at a network, a major network that's on TV. And it was a really cool situation because they were having us really act like many... Like, we got to be in pitch meetings, and we got to listen to people pitch, and we got to, like, see how they negotiate deals. We got to be on the call when they're talking to the writers of a TV show. It was a really awesome internship. I was lucky to land, and um, that just made me so fall in love with TV. I think, I will admit, there was a moment where I got to sit in a pitch, and I saw somebody come in and pitch an awful, like, horrifically bad (laughs) TV show idea that was not even thought out, hardly any idea of characters, the whole thing was like a word joke, like just like get it, like the whole thing. It was ten minutes long, and I had my iPad and I was asking questions. Oh, like what would you say is the blah blah blah, and like they just had nothing to answer. And when they left the room, the other the exec the real executives in the room were just like, "Ah, oh, it's great. I love it. I'm buying it." And I, I was I was like devastated. And I wish I could give you guys details, but I can't on air. But like it was the worst idea. And by the way, this show never ended up getting on on TV, but. Oh. Just, I could not believe it. But it that. got sold, though. It got sold. Wow. Those people got a ton of money. And it really brought to light to me. I remember I went to, like, my little intern closet office, and I got kind of bummed. But it also made me realize that, like, look, if this can happen, why can't I do it? Why can't yeah, anyone do course, it? Yeah. And the, those people happen to be privileged enough to get in that room, and that's half the battle, right? Like, just kind of bringing up your – establishing yourself and your career to the yeah. point that you get to go in those rooms – that's all it would take, but and like I feel like uh, some of those positions, well, you have to be an assistant or intern because like positions like that don't exist. If you land the writers' room assistant position mm-hmm. or intern, I'm sure that'll be a great experience if you're a screenwriter. But like some of those positions are being eliminated today. Another challenge yeah. that I'm kind of looking at, and I may be wrong, but is uh, interning at studios these days. You, they actually ask for bachelor's degrees, which yeah. is. It's understandable. It's very competitive. There's a lot of people applying for those positions and stuff. But uh, being at school and not having your bachelor's degree, it limits you to getting yeah. a job. Or not a job, an internship. Yep. It's, the problem is, like, this industry is one of the most attractive industries yeah. on the planet. Like, you know, there's places. And it's because people come here for the combination of, you know, wanting to become very wealthy, which you could say the same about Wall Street or whatever. But yeah. at the same time, there's a certain allure of fame or sexiness or whatever it is that Hollywood has and people from all over the world every city every county are flying out to LA and Hollywood to be here and you know none of us are flying out to be in you know a random city in Milwaukee because that's just not the way the economy works so as a result everything is so cutthroat and competitive that yes to be an intern at a studio you have to have a bachelor's degree which is an (laughs) absurd thing but people you know get their bachelor's degrees go to Harvard and then on their summer come and work for free at a Hollywood studio, it happens all the time. Yeah, like these agencies in their mail rooms, like half the people there have law degrees. Wow. You know, and they're just delivering mail from downstairs to upstairs. So it 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 is totally 
something to be very present in your mind at all times, that like all of us are just tiny statistics in a sea of other people. Yeah. But that's why I feel like it's appreciated more, especially when I see there isn't too many Armenians in this industry that actually I think go mainstream. And when I see that, like I, I, re I really get happy, like especially when I like know you're doing big projects, like you're, you wrote and you're a producer on Searching, uh, you did Fruitvale Station, like mm -hmm. all those big projects, like even like Angela Sarafian or like Eric Bogosian, like all, uh, David Dasmachian. Like when I see that, like I, I really get happy. I'm, it kind of motivates me more to be like not give up, you know, like just keep shooting for it. And I really, that's, that's kind of the reasons I wanted to have this on too is to talk about it to kind of motivate people. Like if you, if it is a path you want to take, I mean, obviously take it for the right reasons too. Like the money and fame part is only going to last so long and that might not work out also. Like if you really like it, definitely go after it. Yeah, absolutely. I actually just met David a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah? He was at the Avengers Endgame premiere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I to be there and it was, I was like wigging out. I'm like, oh my God, I've been following you. I've been watching your stuff. It's incredible. He was, I think, about to fly to some random country to shoot Dune. Um, for like a year, but yeah. uh, but I'm like, I'm a, and I'm Angela's a good friend of mine, so all nice. the people. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, when I was coming, you know, when I was coming up as an Armenian, I I was really bummed to just find absolutely nobody in the industry who's an Armenian who's doing you know good work. Yeah. Um, it was kind of heartbreaking for me because so many of my I'm I'm friends with so many people who maybe have you know who are black and they can look at their like uh, you know more established seasoned African American filmmakers yeah. or whatever culture they may be. We don't have anybody, yeah. And um, yeah. it only means that you have to work that much harder to kind of establish yourself and, and get up one way or another at, at a time. But yeah, that's that statistic is definitely changing. I remember when I first started taking classes, there was only two Armenians in the class. It was me and one of the friends that is doing the post production supervisor work. Yeah. But oh, now cool. I see more people involved and more people in the film department. I'm like, that's incredible. Yep, we're gonna change that. <laughs> we're slowly gonna change <laughs> one it. Way, yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. Nice. Talk about a little bit of writing. What's the process you uh, you go through to write a screenplay? Uh, I love writing. So I write mostly with my writing partner Anish Chaganti, and he was a, a fellow. And he was the one that did, uh, was working with the searching. And, exactly. Yeah. So mm -hmm. Anish was a student at USC, and he was an undergrad student. I was a grad student. I was his TA, and basically, um, he was my he was my student. I was his TA, and I remember I was always drawn to him because he had such good ideas in class. And he would always pitch ideas that were very much on the same wavelength as me as far as my taste, my overall scale, all that stuff. And when I had graduated USC, I had been invited to be the co-producer of a film called Fruitvale Station. It was an indie film that I helped make, and it kind of blew up, did really well at Sundance, yeah. and you know had this amazing life. Around that time, Anish reached out to me, and he was saying, hey, man, I want to meet up with you because as his TA, I would always encourage him and the other students to come up with five ideas for a movie every single day and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to pitch you my five ideas. So we um, we met up. He pitched me five ideas that he wanted to write into a feature, and I loved one of them. And I told him, "Hey, I really like this one particular idea." And he was, "Oh my god, what a coincidence! That is actually my favorite idea too." I was like, "Oh wow, this is great." Um, we ended up getting, we ended up starting working together. We ended up writing that screenplay together, and blah 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 blah. This last last year at Sundance, we were all doing an interview together on camera, and they were saying, "Hey." Tell each other something you've never told each other before. I was like, well, when I said Anish, you know, I really respect you and value you and your friendship and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, yeah, I remember that time when we first met and I pitched you five ideas. And I said one of them was my favorite, the one that you liked. 
I lied. <laughs> He's like, I was going to say whichever one you like, I was going to say that was my favorite. <laughs> so that, that's one way to get in. He's a smart guy. <laughs> yeah. So Anish and I got together. We started writing. So we were in, we were, I think we were in three movies together so far. One is Animal Heist, which is a big, big budget, like heist film about a group of people, a group of thieves who help break a gorilla out of the LA Zoo to save its life. <laughs> so it's like Ocean's Eleven. It's awesome. It's huge. And uh, so we wrote that as our first movie, which is not usually a good idea to not write a massive movie. Big budget. <laughs> first. I think it's hard to set up, but, you know, we'll see. Then we wrote Searching Together, which came out in theaters last year and yeah. did really well. And then we've written Run Together, which is coming out next year in theaters starring Sarah Paulson with Lionsgate. And we have a bunch of other stuff that's obviously in the works. But... The way Anish and I write is we, um, you know, like it's such a long process, but step one is just throwing ideas back and forth. You know, like, hey, what about a movie where, you know, a guy goes to do a podcast and then they end up, you know, killing him? It's an idea. It's a horror film. Yeah. And then, Jason Blum. <laughs> exactly. And then Anish, Anish will be like, nah, that's too lame, whatever. And he'll go, oh, wait a minute. What if he goes to do the podcast? And the guys who give the podcast are actually like time travelers. Like, oh, interesting. So, like, okay, well, are they doing research? Are yeah, trying yeah. Like, we start throwing random ideas like that back and forth, and ultimately we land on something we like or we don't like. We have a huge like Google document where we have all of our old ideas, all of our p- potential ideas, the dead ideas, and ultimately we land on something. You know, like I'll talk about searching. Searching is a story about a father searching for his missing daughter because. She's, she's, you know, gone yeah. without a trace. And the way he goes about trying to find her is by breaking into her laptop yeah. and looking for clues. But the more he looks, looks through her personal stuff, he learns things about her that he never imagined. And it was initially a, um, a prompt that we were given by this Prussian company that had made a movie called Unfriended. And they wanted to make another movie that would have action taking place entirely on a computer screen as a short film. We came up with Searching Together. I think Anish pitched me the initial idea of a father looking for his missing daughter. We put together a nice little document, sent it to them, and they loved it so much that they asked us to make it into a feature. It was a tough order for us because we didn't really want to make a whole movie on a computer screen. It wasn't really what we're trying to do. But I remember in the meeting, they were like, all right, Seb, you can produce it. Anish, you can direct it. Seb and Anish, you guys will write it. We'll pay you guys. What do you say? And Anish said no, like immediately. And I was like, yo, uh, he means no way. Thank you guys so much for the opportunity. We're gonna touch. <laughs> because it was such an amazing opportunity for somebody to yeah. give you a million dollars to make a movie. And we came up, we, you know, we debated so much. We were like, okay, how, how can we make this feel emotional and cinematic yeah. and something worth seeing? And the more we talked about it, we were realizing, well, how are you going to even care about this daughter? How are you going to care about the dad if, you don't, if you're only seeing them on computers? And we're like, what if there was a way that we can make the entire audience immediately love this family and the more we thought about it the more we thought about it and we were also like okay well if it was going to take place on computers what computer well it should be a mac because macs have facetime okay cool well what if the movie started in the past when everyone had windows do you guys have windows in the past yeah oh yeah and okay cool that's an idea and then well what happens we're like well what if we can just see her entire childhood in a few minutes but only through the computer interesting yeah we all do a lot of growing up on the computer right we used to be on myspace now it's facebook and now it's whatever it's like there's neopets if you were a kid you know there's aol and some messenger there's everything we we had we had all these okay cool 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 what if we make it really emotional what if it's like oh what if it's like pixar's up yeah right right so what if something while we're seeing her childhood something else is happening that's not good so we're not only we're seeing her innocence we're seeing the loss of her innocence okay this is starting to get really cool and we just came up with this idea for this opening scene that would be really, really emotional and really cinematic and just energetic, and it was great. So that led us to, okay, so if she's missing, 
it's a you know I, I'm a huge believer in three act structure and and you know really like kind of making sure your film feels tight. Okay, so act one is him realizing she's missing. So inciting incident, you guys know inciting incident is in screenwriting. Yeah. So it's like right when everything starts to come, you know, start, the movie starts. Oh. All right, so pages one through five will be like her backstory. Five through twelve is kind of like what is their life like right now. Twelve is when she goes missing. So from 12 until the end of Act 1, it should be him learning that she's going missing. It can't be immediate. It's got to be a slow, scary process. Maybe he thinks initially, maybe he, he calls around and finds out, oh, she's actually camping. Okay, cool. Thank God. Oh, wait. Now that she, she wasn't camping, she wasn't there. and So that, that's an interesting process. Okay. Act 2 is, you know, I always believe in Act 2 being your character entering the forest. Right? Yeah. So like this idea, this metaphorical forest is your characters are in their village in Act 1. And Act 2, they go into danger. They go to the point that they can't come back from. So whether it's literally going to slay the dragon, or in our case, it's the father breaking into his daughter's computer. Now he's kind of taking the step. He knows she's missing, and he's going to try and find her however he can. So Act 2 is like, okay, all the fun and games that come from being on your daughter's computer. What what do her photos say? What do her emails say? What do her Facebook messages say? And he starts going, instead of every movie, it's like going door to door. He's starting to FaceTime random friends of hers. Hey, I'm looking for my daughter. And it's starting to, there's energy building up and there's a detective now who's helping him out and we're learning things in real time and the midpoint should be a huge break in the case like the middle of act two i always love having being like a really big victory for the characters but also a failure and this particular victory is you know and this is not a spoiler because it's in the trailers you know he he gets the confirmation that not only was she missing not only did she maybe run away she was abducted oh shit now it's real and now the entire media is coming in everyone's getting involved and, like, the scale's getting bigger. Okay, cool. Okay, what's the break to Act 3? Well, it's like, I always love Act 2s that end with complete, utter failure. Like, how can this guy have totally failed? Not only is he going to fail in trying to find her, he's going to find out that the, he didn't really lose her a couple days ago. He lost her years ago because he failed as a father. And let's find, and let's make sure his relationship with wow. the detective is also in a really bad place. Like, let's find a way to get him to that failure and then Act 3 is kind of like coming back from that failure and coming up with the So, like, that's kind of our writing process. You know, that Before one idea. So, it's like, first you have the idea. Then you have, like, what's the hook? Like, why do I care about this idea? Yeah. Then you just start breaking it up in three-act structure and then see where it fits and where it doesn't fit. And, and we just go from there. What do you say to, like, someone like uh, Tarantino where he... Uh, throws the rules out of the book. Like, they, he does his own different style. I mean, I think that's great. Um, I would say I've, you know, I've made 13 films, I think. Um, a lot of them small films. Only recently have, have I been doing big studio movies. It's just the process. But almost every time a young, emerging, unproven filmmaker announces that they want to not do the rules and they want to be like Tarantino and say, well, he didn't do it. Look how he turned out. Nine times out of nine for you me. Fail. It's like I just feel like they don't they don't grasp it. It doesn't come up into something that's going to be audience friendly. Yeah. Um, I think you know. I mean, searching is a movie that takes place entirely on computer screens. It breaks every rule in that regard. Yeah. But the movie, the plot, the theme, all of that stuff is very traditional, good, old fashioned cinema. And I would argue that it works because of that, because we were very um, conservative in how we broke the rules. And I would just say again, like. People that want to break the rules, I think if you prove yourself first, if you yeah. establish that you're a filmmaker that movie whose movies can make money, by all means, go do whatever you want. But but you got to establish yourself first. I was well, right. you have to yeah. know the rules before you can break it. Well, to me, it's like the people who say, "I'm going to drop out of college because Bill Gates dropped out of college," but it's like, yeah, but you're comparing to the one person who 
is probably the smartest human being yeah. on the existence <laughs> yeah. to like 9,000 other people who drop out every day and don't end up forming a Microsoft. Like, what? Well, why is that an argument? So to me, it's like, you can't point to Tarantino if you really yeah. want to be taken seriously. Yeah. Oh, that's that that's a good point. Do you still do like, like index cards or anything like that, or do you just work on Final Draft? And So Anish and I, um, we do a lot of stuff on Google Docs, so we kind of do the same index cards thing, but just on a spreadsheet. Okay. Um, we're both very, like, tech-savvy, and... What what was interesting is for searching, it's 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 so many montages in that film. Like it's really fun, like you know, like it's a detective mystery. So like how are you putting together the scene of them coming up with the clues? It was so convoluted that we at one point we went and got big poster boards and wrote on the poster boards and then translated that to the computer and then back. I mean it, it's it, when you guys see the film you'll see what I mean, that it is a beast of a movie. Like it almost looked like we were trying to find the missing daughter because the entire room was full wow. of like, you know, like those strings from like postcard to postcard, but <laughs> Yeah, I think postcards can totally work. Whatever whatever everyone's system is, I just think you should have a system. Any specific genre that you really like working on, or are you just open to all of them, like horror, for example? Totally. Or- As a producer, I was very um, open to anything, specifically yeah. because I wanted to really put together a resume in the IMDb or whatever that had the widest variety of types of projects. I did a faith-based movie. I did some James Franco art movies Mm -hmm. i did a chinese language movie i did a fox digital movie and it was all about the design was to like be able to say i know how to do a through z i've done it all and every single one of those movies was put together differently and i got to see how the financing came together where the cast came from how it was developed you know writing with a niche we're very into like thrillers Mm -hmm. and kind of action adventure like popcorn kinds of movies always with a lot of heart you know, Searching has a ton of heart. Our next movie, Run, is probably the closest thing to horror that we will ever do. It's about a mother and a daughter, and the daughter finds out that there's a really sinister secret. And I don't want to say too much more yet, but yeah. It's, yeah. it's really cool. And it's it's not exactly horror. It's more like a psychological horror. Is it filming right now? or It was filming, and we've been editing it. We're probably going to do like a week of reshoots, and then we'll be done. But that'll be how, coming out in how, January. How much involved are you in the post-process? Uh, a, a fair amount. Like on searching, I was um, after the director's cut. I was in the edit room basically every single day, working with the director, working with the editors. You know, giving my own notes and like approving stuff. And it, it's it's a very very involved process. Just to make sure like your vision is there and nothing. Yeah, and changes. it's not necessarily my vision. It's kind of a collective vision. Like I'm not a big fan of this idea that it's all about the director's vision. I think that is is kind of like auteur porn. This yeah. idea that there's this one man, this one genius who knows. <laughs> I, I think yeah, it's no. not it's not conducive to really how movies are made. You know, like I'm mean, just looking at Avengers Endgame. Like you know, the Rooster Brothers had a massive vision, but so did the writers. You know, who've been yeah. working on those movies, and arguably so did the stars, and so did you know who've been those characters for ten years, and of course Thank Kevin you. Feige, and like it's a collective vision. I think that's when that's the beautiful thing about film. Like it's not you can't make a film by yourself. You know, you have to do it with the team, with the family. And I think that's what makes it so cool because you can write a book yourself. You can, you know, paint a, paint a painting yourself. You could do claim it, whatever it is. But film is inherently a collective endeavor. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's one thing I learned when I first did my Stolen Shore project. I'm like, after going to post, you're like, wow, there's so many things wrong with it. If I had a bigger amount of crew, like, yep. you would do so many things different. It would be so much better. And that's one thing you realize. I feel like if you don't realize that and you just think you can control everything, you, you fail you, before think, you even right? yeah. begin your career. Yep, 100%. So what would you say was your first movie that you said, you know what, 
this, uh, I think I have a chance. I like, I made it. I could take this and start doing other projects. What was your first break? I mean, the truth is, it was searching because you know, Fruitvale Station was my first, you know, real, real movie. Yeah. And it was an incredibly important movie to me, but I was still kind of figuring out what I was doing. I was a very junior producer on that film, and that led to a lot of other films in which I was again a junior producer. I would often be the line producer which is like the person who's really solely in charge of scheduling and budgeting. Very important job, but it wasn't exactly what I wanted to ultimately be doing. I'm more of a creative producer. And all of those jobs were really designed to get me more jobs and expand my reputation, like I mentioned, to learn more. Searching was the first time where I was like the quote-unquote lead producer, where I was, you know, it was my idea. I got the, I got the movie like finance. We got it, you know, through development. We got it cast. We got it shot. It was also such a crazy movie that we had to learn how to make that movie because no one had ever done that before, not in that way. And, you know, figuring out the unique way to get it to a festival and how to maximize that sale, all of that was me with an incredible team, with, you know, Nish, my director, and now yeah. Kasabi and my producing partner and fiance. It was, it was, that was like, okay, if I can do this on this, and then, now, you know, that movie cost us $880,000 and it ended up grossing $75 million. It's like if we can do that on a movie that that's weird, that weird, <laughs> then we could do anything. Hundred percent. It's very motivational, definitely. So I know there's a, a couple of projects that you're working on. You really can't talk about yet because it's very early in the stage. Space Jam Two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't talk about Space Jam Two. <laughs> but like, is there any um, any one that you that you you're plan on making? Like, let me ask you this: yeah, Like, sure. uh, you directed my big fat Armenian family. Yes. Would do you think do you see yourself directing another feature movie? No, I really don't. I don't. I think uh, I have a lot of love for directing, but you know, to be a director means you're like forfeiting everything else. You're focusing on one thing, usually for a year to two years, if not more. That's not me, you know. Like I, you know, right now I'm about to start shooting a movie. We talked about I have uh, another movie in post. I have a movie that I'm writing. I have a TV thing that I'm writing. I have three other movies that I'm outlining. There's like four other projects that I'm gonna be shooting in the next two years. I love just. That, that fits me so much more to have all these things going on and always making sure they're good and finding really good collaborative filmmaking partners to direct them. That is way more my, my style. But do you get to, like, do you, let's say for each project, do you choose who, like, the, who the director will be, stuff like it that? Varies. It varies. It comes, you know, some of the projects, I'm coming in such an early, such an early phase, absolutely, definitely have yeah. a voice in that conversation. Every now and then it'll be, hey, we want you to come and help produce this film. Mm. This is the filmmaker that's already been decided. And, you know, I meet the filmmaker and decide whether or not I think it'll all be a good fit. Yeah. But, yeah, it kind of varies. Well, in this crazy schedule that you have, is there anything that you like? What's your hobby or what do you enjoy doing on your free time? That's a good question. I don't <laughs> – I haven't had a lot of free time recently. But um, I, I love – this is so nerdy. I love – Recently, I like discovered this whole world of like YouTube videos in which people analyze movies, <laughs> and like it varies from like super experienced professional journalists to like fifteen year old kids in their bedroom, <laughs> and like I just love like watching people analyze films all the time. Like I'll have it on while I'm doing the dishes or whatever. So that's become like my recent obsession. I got to get more into podcasts, honestly. Podcasts um, are really cool too. I love reading. I'm a big reader. I mean, you know, I have a fiance Natalie. We go out. We have fun. We hang out with our friends. Um, I'm a, I'm obsessed with escape rooms. Okay. Have you guys ever done those? We haven't. No, oh we my have god, to. it is so. It's like the most I felt alive. You know, like we're, we're, like they say, like our generation is always hungry for experiential stuff. Yeah. Like I think it's because we're all like always on our phones and computers or whatever. <laughs> but 
I'm because as growing up, I love video games, and I just yeah. don't have enough time for video games. But to be able to like in a one hour be ha- stuck in a room and have to use puzzles and stuff to get out, it's like the closest thing to living in a video game. So nice. not, nothing too exciting and nothing really outside of film, but those that's what I do for fun. That's good enough. Time. That's crazy though. Well, we've there is a couple that uh, we've seen there. I think there's one. In Glendale, I think. Was there's a, no, there's, yeah, there's a bunch a of places. Of them, but yeah, I, I've always saw it. They even made, I, there's a movie about it I, I saw yeah. recently, but I never I never tried it. Maybe I should. But there's one actually that uh, someone follows me, Escape House, on Instagram. I think they're, uh, it's Armenian-owned place. But yeah. What? Yeah. Uh, I gotta find that place. Yeah. Uh, I see a lot of postings. Like, a lot of people what? go there. That's incredible. Okay, no, it's yeah. very interesting. Sounds very fun. We have to do stuff. <laughs> you guys got to check it out. Yeah. yeah. But you know what I'm battling myself is uh, I'm also trying out uh, acting. And I tell this to my brother all the time. He's like, oh, don't sell yourself. Sure. Try acting. You never know this, that. Mm-hmm. But my ultimate, uh, like my true passion is writing. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to f- be more focused on just writing. And that's what I want to do. Screenwriting? Or? Yeah, screenwriting. That's easy, man. Can I tell you like my advice for any screenwriters? Sure. Read 30 books on screenwriting. Just do it. Because I think to not do that and to say you're a screenwriter is arrogant. Yeah. There's all these, you know, and some of those books may not be as good as other books. Some of them may be useless. But if you want to do something, like screenwriting is such a hard industry to break in through. I mean, acting is the hardest of all, obviously. Yeah. But at least read what other people have said about it so that you can even say, no, that doesn't work for me. Exactly. Then read 300 screenplays. You have to. You absolutely have to. And the trick that I learned that I wish someone had taught me seven years ago is read, when you're reading those 300 scripts, read them in order of author. So for example, go download all of Tarantino's scripts and read them in chronological order. And you, as you read them, you realize like by the seventh script, as you're you know, opening up the page, you have an idea of what are going to be the next words, and they are, because you now understood how this man writes. You know, like, go read all of, uh, you know, Aaron Sorkin. He's a master of dialogue. Like, by the 20th page of the sixth book, a subscript, you, you'll guess the next words the character will say, and you'll be right. Because by reading them with that same author in mind, you're just training yourself to, like, other people's styles, and it kind of helps you form your own. When you do that, and then you open up the page and you start writing, it makes all the difference in the world. That's an incredible advice. I never actually thought of that or... I, I read scripts, of course, because. Uh, sure. But I also try to be myself instead of just trying to be one style. Like, I respect Tarantino, but I'm not gonna like uh, focus and totally. try to be Tarantino because oh, that's him. And I agree, and I'm not saying to do that. I just yeah. think if you if you it starts to show like you know the Matrix, they say like if you if you you know you can predict movie, whatever's gonna happen. Yeah, but like they look at the code and the guys like, oh yeah, I, I don't even see code anymore. I know what it is. Like I think I'm trying to say like by reading everyone's stuff, you yeah. start to see the code. Yeah. Um, and the last thing I would say is like I think what has helped me be a good writer um, is because I'm a producer, I get sent so many scripts that I'm often reading a hundred scripts a year just to consider maybe producing them. So when I read a script, I always assume on page one that this is going to be the best script I've ever read in my life. I always start with that mentality. And then I, as I read, every single time something bumps, it just nicks away at that best script ever. And every single, it's like, ah, oh, dang, that's kind of confusing. Oh, that's a weird beat. That joke didn't make sense. I didn't get that reference. Wait, she did A, I thought she would do B. All of those bumps just bring that script down to like, okay, I don't like the script, I'm going to pass on it. But having that in my mind as a producer, when I think about scripts, has made it so that when I write, I'm always very conscious of the director or the producer or the financier 
or the studio or the audience member at home what their reaction will be like oh like wait you know what that does that actually fit because the problem of writing alone and not really reading other people's stuff is you kind of don't train that side of your brain that reads and to be a good writer you got to be a good reader so that's that's my whole philosophy no I, I totally agree i think that's you have a better understanding of it too actually and you're right what works and what doesn't you'll understand that much better even like, though I think the only book that I saw, one of the books you, I saw, well, Sid, Save Sid, the Cat is the one that comes. Yeah, into Blake mind. Snyder. Then I, you have Sid I love Field. Save the Cat. I love it. I mean, Searching is literally Save the Cat. Yeah, and I follow that uh, guideline too. Then you have Sid Field. I, you know, which book I really loved, uh, Christopher Vogler, The Writer's Journey. Yep. The Twelve Stages. Yep. Like that's incredible. Good hey, stuff, man. Good book. I really enjoyed reading that, and I, I'm very picky to what I read. Because if 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 it, if I lose focus, like it's something that bores me, I'm out. But like I really enjoyed that book so much. It was like very just I don't know. It was incredible. Like, I can't even describe it. That's uh, awesome. But I gotta start reading more and uh, I have to be more focused. Because like I'm go. trying out acting, but I want to be a writer. And I, have I mean, to acting do... is tough, and I don't know how you guys do that. It's, <sighs> it's a very forgiving, like unforgiving industry yeah. to try and break into. You know what? Being non-union, I actually. Uh, I've been on hold or put on avail multiple times. Like one feature, uh, it was Jason Blum was producing it. Sick. Without an agent, I booked a Facebook commercial. So I get signed. Uh, I go to... The, I've been put on hold a lot. But I'm like... What does hold mean? Uh, oh, they're considering you. Do you so you're one of them. It's either between you or one more person. Yeah. It's basically avail. Wow. Yeah. That happened a lot. But I'm like, do I want to And I'm SAG, but he's gotten better. Like I've had good opportunities for auditions, but like... He's been on hold for more projects. Like I think it's because he looks like a, he has a certain type of look. Especially mm-hmm. he had a full beard before. <laughs> I, had to, I had to trim it down. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, it, I, what I was telling him is, you see, it's kind of giving you more opportunities acting wise. Like he's got auditions, so I'm like, why don't you try that route and then do the screenwriting on the side? Yeah. You know, but like see what works better, and then you can always fall back onto that. He's he's running my uh, career <laughs> career path. No, I mean I think it's right. Screenwriting is one of the few things that you could kind of do on the side. Yeah, easily. Because like even a lot of uh, like directors or writers, like the Russo brothers or uh, who's a good one, like the Duplass brothers, for mm-hmm. example, they act a lot mm-hmm. in their projects and they write and they direct. You know, so I'm like maybe we could be kind of like that hopefully in the future. Yeah. So Steph, what do you think about shorts and like uh, there's so many festivals out there. Uh, what do you think of uh, how important is it for a filmmaker to create short films? I mean, to be a director, it's like, you know, with producers, it's like everyone wants to know what's your next project. Sure. Because that's how they can use you. Like, if you have a really good project, I will then work with you to have ownership over that project as well and make. With directors, it doesn't matter what your next project is. All that matters is what your last project is. And that's why you cannot be a director or an aspiring director or a budding director and not have something to show. If you are a director and you have an incredible script, whether you've written it or you have it, and you want to direct it, no one cares. Unless you have a really good short film. Whether it's a proof of concept for that feature, or whether it's just another thing altogether, that's what matters. And there's never been a better time to make shorts and blow up as a filmmaker than now, but I feel like most of what I see is just totally off. I think people make shorts that are... 300 times too long you need something to be two to four minutes to prove your worth as a director not 20 minutes not 30 minutes not even 15 minutes not even 10 minutes yeah i see that a lot too actually 15 to 18 i'm like the things like when was the last time you guys you guys are film industry people when was the last time you guys sought out a short to watch that was 15 minutes long 
I don't think really? so. I can't think of it. I, we watched a couple of like two, a couple of minute one, like sure. a five minute one. Did yeah, you, we actually that, made one recently too. Oh, smart! Yeah. You, did you guys see that lights out short where that woman turns off her apartment light and there's a monster? She turns it on. He's no. gone. No, it was two minutes long, and it ended up being made into a feature film called Lights Out, that made a kajillion dollars. Jeez. And it was entirely based off of a two minute short. You know, my fiance Natalie, she. Made a, she, had, she made a short film that was four minutes that went to Sundance three or four years ago. She made it for like a $3,000 budget. The movie did really, the short did really Is this well. the, because uh, I saw her project, was it, it's not Dog Butter, right? No, this oh. one is, um, it, the, the short was called Join the Club. The feature was called uh, All About Nina. And it was based on that oh, short. I, did, I watched that. That was on Netflix, I think, I right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was based on a short she made. So wow. it really goes back to like make something short, make it good, put it online, let it have a natural, organic following. And at the end of the day, like when you're trying to cast an actor, you could send them, here's a link to my work. Because I, I believe that actors, when they do low-budget independent films, it's obviously not because of the money, usually not even entirely because of the script. It really does go to the director. They want to work with cool, new, unique directors, and they'll look more serious, seriously at the director's past work than I think than they almost would looking at the script. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And like, uh, what do you say to like, because there's uh, literally thousands of festivals out there. Mm -hmm. Is there the right, of course, Sundance and like uh, Toronto International Film Festival, all these heavy hitter festivals are out there. But does it make a difference? Because like, there's so many. Like some people might say ones. that the smaller ones are out for the money or whatever. Yeah, they, they are. just want your money. They are, they do, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I think all that matters is if you cannot get your short into Sundance, which is fine because it's harder to get into Harvard than it is to get a short into Sundance. It's easier to get a feature into Sundance, as an example. Yeah. That's fine. You try and go to Tribeca. I mean, you just go down the list and try and get enough accolades. But at the same time, the only thing that's really going to matter is putting it on the internet. Like, if I've, I've had this belief that if you write an incredible screenplay and you throw it up your car on the 4 or 5 freeway, if it's a good screenplay, you'll get calls. Someone's going to read it, pass it on to someone, etc., etc. If you make a really good short that's worth its weight, and you put it online, even if you don't pay money to advertise it, eventually that thing will grow a following and come to you. The emphasis should not be how you get your work out there. It's not about what festival, how you put it online. It's about the work itself. You have to make something in effing credible. It has to be like, a, there's got to be a hook. There's got to be a cool thought. There's got to be interesting vision. Every frame of it has to be so good. So Anish and I made a short film that was three minutes long called Seeds that we shot on the Google Glasses. And it blew up, got 2 million views, you know, got me on the news, that got me on some list of Hollywood, you know, famous people. It got a niche hired at Google to where he started directing Google commercials for two years. Oh. And it cost us like $1,000. And again, it was just, you know, a three-minute short. Google saw it. They're like, yo, we want to put on our official channel. Dunzo. And when you say platform, like what platform? Uh, or does it just get your stuff out there Yeah, in what I mean is like Vimeo versus YouTube versus okay. Facebook versus Instagram. I mean, like, if it's good, it'll do well. Like, you just... The emphasis, I think people have to put far more emphasis on their own work rather than what's the way I get it to an agent? How do I get it to a producer? Yeah, How do I get yeah. it to a financier? If your shit is tight, they'll come to you. It's a really good sense. way of looking at it, actually. Do you still work on any shorts now? or I, I don't because I have like too oh, many yeah. feature films <laughs> going on. But, you know, there was a really cool short. Every now and then, I'll get roped into a short if it's like so good or whatever. But yeah. usually, you know, not, not so much anymore. I understand. You have a lot of big projects going on. It's definitely tough. So let's go back, actually. Uh, my big fat Armenian family. What were some challenges you faced when you're just... Obviously, you have the screenplay done. 
budgeting or just yeah. casting go? So the shorts were something I made when I was 19 years old. I put it on. I put one short on YouTube just for my close friends to watch. And I went to go on get, private or no, it was like it was like a oh, public okay. link. This is 2007, I think. I went off to go. Oh yeah, yeah, I was 2007. I went off to go get my hair cut, and I came back to my surprise. There was already a thousand views, which was crazy in one hour, especially back then. And my friends had shared with their friends, who shared with their friends, and these videos became huge on the internet yeah. with Armenians all over the world. And we made another video, and these are videos kind of like poking fun at my parents out of love. It was like, you know, I had a friend um, who would always, his name was Edgemeen, he would always get in trouble at home and he would always tell us stories about how his dad yelled at him and he would kind of do impersonations of his dad. <laughs> so the videos were kind of like doing that. And we, you know, we found so much love for these videos after just two or three videos that I decided rather than making more short films, what if I just make it into a feature film, cast the same people, it's kind of a continuation of that story. And, you know, I was reading Save the Cat, I was reading all these, no, that was before I even read Save the Cat, just... Trying to figure out how to write a script. I downloaded a final draft. I put this whole thing together. I was doing it while I was in class. Um, wrote a movie, My Big Fat Armenian Family, which is really about these two parents played by the same guy who were old-fashioned Iranian-Armenian parents. Yeah. And their kids who were very Americanized and resistant to their culture. And one weekend in which they go to Palm, Palm Springs, or Palma Springs, as we said in the movie. <laughs> and it was a really fun, awesome, episodic story about the culture clash between parents and kids that I relate to. I'm sure you guys may yeah. relate to it. And I know a lot of people, I mean, otherwise can. And it was great because we, f I found a way to tell a really cool story, a lot of plan and payoff, good structure, yeah. but really fucking funny. Like just edge me and the actor was so funny and yeah. And it was emotional at the end. It was great. So we made it for $800. Wow. And 500 of those dollars went to downloading a piece of software called magic bullet. Cause it would make my dad's home video camera look like film. It did not. <laughs> and, uh, and the rest of it was paying for taco bells here and there and stole every location, got everything for free. We got Glendale high school. Let me screen it there, sold tickets nice. and, you know, ended up making six figures, which was insane. It was not my goal. It was not, I did not have a business plan. I just thought I was making something really cool and people knew about it because it was initially from an online thing and I was just shocked that thousands and thousands of people would come and see it at Glendale High. It was insane. It was wow. nothing in my life will probably ever compare to that. And when people were coming to see it, they were laughing throughout the film, but they were also clapping. Like when the daughter stands up to the father, like people were clapping. I was, I'd never, I've only recently been to movies where people clap in movies. Like it was insane. And the financial, you know, reward was amazing because it really allowed me to go to usc from there but the fact that complete strangers had come and seen something that i had thought of and put together that was empowering on a whole different level it made me realize whether or not you know i had i always had a feeling i would probably do well whatever path i chose but film was the one that i wasn't sure about and it made me realize even if i fail like i want to pursue this again i, I feel like I can make a difference nice underdog story no that's, <laughs> that's but that's crazy to just you're well, like you said, just put it on the internet, be successful, and then just screen it. Like that's it's a. I mean, I feel like it's something that anybody could technically do if they really wanted to. Like they just gotta go after it. But the material, of course, the subject matter always makes a big difference. So, so work, find a project that really works for you, and I guess just take it from there. You have to be pro uh, proactive. You have to like produce content. Like that's even, the only way you're gonna get things done. Equipment-wise, for example, like, was that, like, did you use just basic cameras? So I used my dad's home video camera. It was a really low-budget mini DV, if you guys remember that. Yeah. Tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then for lighting, I used none. 
I literally did not have, I mean, one scene takes place at night in the dark and I use my dad's Home Depot work lights. They are not film lights at all. Um, I was at, I had no idea what I was doing. Instead of doing close-ups, when you do a close-up in a real movie, yeah. you put on a zoom lens, a lens that is like a, like a faraway lens. Yeah. So you can see the character, you know, everything is like crunched yeah. in the background. I did not know that. So I would just put the camera in their face. <laughs> so the movie has this really weird aesthetic where everyone's faces are stretched out because I thought that's how you do close-ups. Yeah. So it was totally just making it up. I had no boom cam, like boom mic, wow. nothing. It was literally, I told you guys, it was me and a makeup artist who quit on me. So it was purely <laughs> just me with the camera. That's and, crazy. And then editing it for like seven months. Which yeah. is the worst probably part, right? Putting it together. I'll tell you this, editing, I hate so much. Um, well, it is the art of its own. Like, uh, I don't know, when I edit stuff, it kind of looks like music videos for everything. So I'm like, yeah, it's probably not working for it's me funny. as our editor. But um, so what are your, I would say, top three movies? I love, all right, so I'm going to say it in no particular order. But number one is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That was you guys really seen that? One. Yes, Jim Carrey. I, I can watch it a billion times. I yeah. love that film. Uh, I really love Pleasantville, which is a random choice. Yeah. I think it's a masterfully made movie. Um, I love Children of Men. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. I love um, Y Tu Mama Tambien. That was a very artsy movie. Like I feel yeah. like, because when I saw it the first time, it was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, it was, I was shocked, honestly, because it was uh, not rated. I haven't seen too many not rated movies oh, at yeah. that time. I'm like, wow. Yep. Like, I can't believe, like, they're going that much, like, mm-hmm. open about it, you know? Like, but I feel like it's because for America, it's, like, of a culture shock. Like, I know European, like, Europe in general, it's normal. Like, the sexual situations mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, it was a very artsy movie. Yeah, that's I, that's, exactly, that's pretty much how I felt when I first saw it. Yeah, I love that film, though. It's incredible filmmaking. And I love a movie called The Celebration, uh, which is a Dutch film. I think I've seen that one. Called Feston in its new language. It's really good. It was the first movie of the Dogma 95 film movement, which was a bunch of European filmmakers who came together and saying, like, movies have strayed too far from the truth. Let's make movies that are more truthful. Cinema verite. And it was, like, kind of ironically similar to my Armenian movie, where it was, like, no lights, no crew. It was just, like, actors and a camera go. But um, those are some of my favorites. That's incredible. Nice, man. So those, those... Was there any particular one that actually shaped you to be like, that's it? Like, I know this is the right industry wow, for me. Wow, that's a really good question. Um, the film that probably did that for me the most, I'm embarrassed to admit, is Spider-Man 1. I remember like... Was that the one with uh, Toby, I think? Yeah, 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 the first one with Toby. I remember yeah. the first time I saw that in theaters, I was mind blown that like films could translate things that I loved about comics and cartoons in that way. And I remember that was the first time I was watching a movie where I was with my friends that I kind of kept leaning over and whispering what was going to happen next. Like, I was like, oh, I bet you she's going to do this. And then, well, and they were like, did you see the movie already? And (laughs) I was being such an obnoxious brat. But I think it was like the first time for me that it all kind of came together. I'm like, oh, like, this is a particular film with this hero's journey and this structure. And I remember I came home that night like that i saw the film and i downloaded an illegal copy of it from china i think <laughs> so it was like chinese subtitles it was some guy can't look over camcorder in a beijing theater yeah and i watched it over and over again and i was like yo i mean i don't think that movie is like a masterpiece of the same level yeah. of the other films i listed but it really inspired me to pursue filmmaking more than anything else that makes total sense well um, like as far as screenplays like uh, just reading screenplays 
the problem I have is like uh, as a screenwriter to sell your script or just uh, get it out there. The, the screenplays you see is mostly director's cuts online with the like oh, that's tough. visions. Mm -hmm. How do you go about like just or is it just reading screenplays in general? Because that's one thing I realized. I'm like all of them are director cuts, so they have angles and like camera placement stuff like that on it. There's a lot of good ones. I think a really great resource is Reddit.com. You guys ever been there? I used to go on Jules Script Realm a lot and stuff. The, oh, cool. Like those independent or IMSDB. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reddit is a great resource. and It's a great thing in general. So it was yeah. actually co-founded by an Armenian man named yeah. Alexis, um, who's not my cousin. <laughs> Same last name, right? Same last yeah, name, yeah. And uh, there's a great subreddit called Screenwriting. Yeah. And I think it's a great resource for anybody to go there because... Well, there's screenplays on there. They oftentimes post screenplays. You could find them. You could download them. They, they know how to navigate so you're not looking at the wrong cut of the screenplay. Okay. It's, it's, there's a lot of resources online. I, I usually, I've, I've read, when I, for me, my screenplays mostly has been the plays that I worked on in cl acting classes yeah. and stuff like that. But yeah, they, everybody mentions, even for actors, like you got to read it just so it could like, I feel like it helps with imagination even when you're reading screenplays. But like you said, when you're watching like Spider-Man and you, mm -hmm. you kind of felt like, oh, this was going to happen next, I catch myself doing that too. Like I would watch a movie and be like, what would make sense? Like I, saw, I swear I saw uh, Brightburn yesterday, mm -hmm. which was that, yeah. cool, really good. Cool, Recommended. Don't, don't, don't no, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. But uh, I catch myself when I see something, I'm like, okay, this would make sense if this happened. And then I'm watching Dr. Wood, like, and it happened. I'm exactly. like, I, I, exactly like you said. Because like you get into the story of it, you're like, I'm not a writer, but like, I'm like, okay, if, if you pick, this, take apart the yeah, scenes you're like this would totally make sense in the end result, and then which it did, which which was it's crazy, and then like like you, like you said, like I'll find myself saying that, and they're like, oh, did you see the movie? I'm like, no, no, I just like if I was making it, like I feel like that would be the reasonable thing to happen. Thank you, Sevohania, so much for coming. Did you? In. Well, before we cut yeah. it off, uh, anything you want to mention or uh, what's. So any project you're working on, the best way that people could find out, like, is it through social media or? Yeah, totally. Um, uh, any pro so, you know, I have a bunch of movies that are coming together. The first one that's coming out is Run by the same director as Searching and, you know, produced by my partner and myself, Natalie and myself, so two Armenians. That comes nice. out January 24th, starring Sarah Paulson. We haven't released any trailers yet. You'll be seeing nice. a lot of it probably later half of this year. And, uh, you know, Space Jam 2 comes out in two years, so you can worry about worry about that one later. Yeah. <laughs> and just a bunch of other stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I'm on social media, you know, at Sevohanya, Instagram. And, and you know, are you active with social media? Or? I'm not as active as I should be, but I try. Yeah, well, you're <laughs> but, a busy guy. Yeah. Do you, do you po uh, so would you post, like, any updates on, on films that's going to come out? That way could yeah. be people Yeah, not? totally. I mean, you know, trailers and stuff like that nice. as they come out, absolutely. So, but the most current one that's going to come out is The Run. Yeah. Okay, nice. Looking forward to that. We got to definitely... We're we're watching searching. <laughs> That's number one on our list, hundred yeah. percent. Now we got and then the way you explain it, I swear. When I saw the trailer, it didn't hit me like it did the way you explained fair, it. I swear. Fair, totally I fair. swear. And it really puts it in perspective. Like even a basic thing, like just being on a laptop or basing it on that. To, to lead up to that. But I love that because I hate when you're when you see trailers and that's pretty much the whole plot of the movie. I'm like, yeah. Okay, so what that was it important yeah. for us to not spoil too much in the trailer? I mean, it's a it's a hard it movie. Sense. It's a very hard movie to market, and you'll see why when you see the film. Yeah, no, for but sure. Yeah, thank you, guys. Well, Seth, thank you very thank much you. for going out of your way to come. Of course, come visit us. Thank you guys for being. We're honored to have you on. Yeah, and hopefully future projects, if you have, we could bring you yeah. on if you have time because I know yeah. you have a really busy schedule. Absolutely, yeah. This will hopefully be the first of many.
Nice. Thank, thank you. you very much, Seb. And guys, Thanks, thank Sarah. you very Thanks, much. Leslie.